0: Our text this morning is in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 18 through 20 there at the end of that chapter. Here's what I have seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labors one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him, because that is his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom god has given riches and wealth he has also allowed him to to enjoy them take his reward and rejoice in his labor this is a gift of god for he does not often consider the days of his life because god keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart this is the word of the lord several months ago uh, when we were meeting in our normal weekly routine my Wednesday night routine is that I, I, around six o'clock, I go to a couple friends' house and pick up their kids and bring them to church. Um, neither one of them can make it, and they like their kids coming, and so I don't mind picking them up. So anyway, I was I was uh, driving with these kids on the way to church one Wednesday evening, probably somewhere early February, and we we came to a stop site. Now normally. The kids, sometimes they're loud, and the younger ones are fighting in the back. There's a 14-year-old sitting in the passenger seat, and he's got earbuds in, listening to music, playing on his phone. There's a 12-year-old girl and a 7-year-old a, a boy in the back, and uh, sometimes I'm corralling them, making sure they got their seatbelt on, and refereeing their fights, um, And uh, but this particular night, they were quiet. They, were, they weren't really saying a whole lot, so we we rolled up to this stoplight, and I decided to kind of engage with them. So I look over to the 14-year-old, and um, I pull out this eight ball that's, that's in my car. Now, the reason I have an eight ball in my car is because this past year, our college ministry studied the book of Romans. And when we got to Romans chapter eight, um, I challenged anybody that would be willing to memorize all of Romans eight, that they would get an eight ball. To kind of uh, go with them and remind them of these verses that they memorized. And so Drew and I both did this. And so I carry my eight ball in my car, just pick it up once in a while to remind myself of these verses. So I pick up this eight ball and I look over at the 14-year-old and I'm like, hey, so do you know how I got this eight ball? And uh, I didn't get a response, which I wasn't surprised. I said, I memorized all of Romans 8. So you got to imagine, I'm, I'm sitting in the car, right, looking over him. And at this point, I just keep staring at him hoping he re- will respond. He, he can sense my presence, and he does one of these numbers. You know, like, okay. I said, dude, there's 39 verses in chapter 8. That's a lot of verses. It took me like a couple months to memorize this. Isn't that cool? And I get one of these. Like, okay, sure. Which, you know, he's a teenager. He doesn't get it. So I put put the ball back down. The light turns green. And from the back, the seven-year-old says, nobody cares, just like that. And it took me by surprise because surely he's not talking to me. And I'm, I'm looking around outside the car going, who would he be talking to? And does m- not much time goes by and he says, nobody cares. And at that point, I knew he was talking to me. I whipped my head back and I said, are you talking to me? And he starts laughing, they start laughing, I start laughing, and man, by the time I was going through the intersection, I, my eyes were, I mean, flooding with tears as I was laughing about this. We had such a good time. That's one of my favorite memories with them in the car. And I love that, and I think about that a lot because, man, I tend to take myself so seriously. Um, in fact... I was telling Steve uh, before we started that I kind of titled this sermon, Don't Take Yourself So Seriously. And I noticed as I was working through this earlier that there it is right at the beginning. I need that reminder. Don't take yourself so serious. I try to take, I tend to take myself so serious. I get excited about things that I think others should be excited about. And when they're not excited about it, I'm like, oh, well, okay. Maybe I shouldn't be excited about it. Ah, who cares? You know, I kind of just get into this, ah, nobody really cares. Why should I care? I don't care. So I don't know about you. Have you ever had something that you were really excited about and you couldn't wait to tell somebody and you didn't get the reaction you wanted? Maybe you, you, you were excited to share something with somebody and they weren't as excited to hear about it. Go ahead in your, uh, pause the video if you want, take some time, um, talk about that with your kids, kids talk about that with your parents and, uh, and we'll come back together. Now, this this aspect of not taking myself so serious also can have a dark side to it. To be honest, it I, I mentioned a little bit when when I feel like I care so much, and then nobody else really cares. So why should I care? And I can get I can get kind of um, depressed, if you will, or I kind of venture into despair. Kind of feel like. Like things are just kind of slipping through my fingers sometimes. Things that I thought what I was doing mattered. And when I, it turns out, it doesn't seem to matter as much as I thought. So I, I've had this experience over the last couple months as Drew and I have worked hard and with our leaders to connect students to the ministry, to connect them to Jesus, to connect them to um, the church, and, and to feel a lot of those connections and, and our work just kind of slipped through our fingers. To not have the, the Albuquerque trip that is such a big trip for our ministry and st- where students can really become family, to not have that was just kind of like, ah, you know? Just like, okay, why did we do all this? What, what was the point of all this? The Bible has a word for this, and, it's, and once in a while I bump up against this word, and I experience it. I wonder if you have too. It's this word, Futility. Just seems futile sometimes. Like, what's the point? I don't know if you had a moment over these last several um, couple months where all the hard work and all the things that you've done um, and and just seem you can just see them kind of slipping through your fingers, like investments or relationships or um, businesses that you own or or even gospel conversations. I can tell you of a couple. Students that we were sharing the gospel with, that, that when all this happened, we just kind of lost touch with and were left to just pray for them. and if I were to be honest, there are times where it feels like that's just not enough. <laughs> like, God, okay, yeah, I'm giving this to you. Hope you do something with it. Like I, like I care more than he does. And if, sometimes I can get into these patterns and it can feel that way. Well, futility comes in all shapes and sizes. Now, you can be, you can be building a, a, a sandcastle and, and some abnormally big wave come in and just wash it away. <laughs> uh, you can be working on a sidewalk chalk or a driveway chalk, whatever you can chalk your driveway, like I saw so many times this, this over this past couple months, and then rain come just wash it away. It's like, all that work for what? And then there's bigger things like jobs that you really wanted, you get into and you find out you hate. Or some of you, maybe even marriages that you've you know, you've been married and you just go, this is not what I thought it would be. Or you watch the news, that's another one. So either way, the Bible describes this as futility. And the book of Ecclesiastes is such a gift that I have come to gr- just greatly appreciate over these last few months. Um, and I want to talk about Ecclesiastes. In fact, I, I would love to kind of whet your appetite to want to go back and read the book on your own. Because Ecclesiastes is an encouraging book, but it's done in kind of an upside down way. And I, and I want to explain that. But in order to explain that, I want to give you one perspective on this book that I think will help as you read through it on your own. And it's this, that there are two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes, so if you have a Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter one. because I want to show you where I think these voices kind of come to play, okay? There's two voices. The first voice is what I would call, and others have called the narrator. okay? And I like to picture the narrator as like a father sitting down with his son and, and getting ready to watch a YouTube video of of like an older, weathered, um, man talk about his experience with the futility of life, okay? But the the video isn't the ultimate message of the book. The father, or the narrator, owns the message. He gets to frame up the video, and when the video's over, guess what? He gets to summarize it and, and really pinpoint what he thinks is the point and what he's trying to show his son. And that's what I think is happening in Ecclesiastes. And so chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 is the narrator introducing the theme of this book and this idea of um, futility. And he explains that and he talks about it. And then the, ne- the second voice, which is the teacher. In fact, it says it in 1 verse 12, I the teacher. Now, the teacher likens himself to Solomon. That's why most people think Solomon wrote this book. Now, I don't actually believe it matters whether or not Solomon wrote the book or not, but it definitely matters that the, the, whoever this person is, the teacher, the Hebrew word is the word Kohelet, okay? Kohelet says that he describes himself as Solomon. Why would he describe himself as Solomon? Think about who Solomon was to them. He was the, the, the wealthiest, the most powerful, and the wisest king that they knew of. And so if anybody could experience life to the full, it was Solomon. And so this this teacher comes in, and from that verse, chapter one, chapter chapter one, verse twelve, all the way through to the end, to chapter twelve, turn to chapter twelve, verse seven, he speaks. And he shares his his experiences and his philosophy, and sometimes his anger with life and his angst with life, and sometimes his joy in life, like the verses that Paul read. And it ends in, in chapter twelve, verse seven. And then the narrator comes back on and he takes over, and he sums up the he sums up what the, the teacher's words and then he adds some words of his own, which we'll get to at the end of my message. But I think that perspective really does help frame up what I think this is talking about. And it shows, again it's this up down upside down encouragement, because it shows where to find the meaning of life by reminding us that it's not found in the experiences of life. And if you're going, what? Then you're well on your way to reading Ecclesiastes. There is one word that comes up over 40 sometimes, and it is this word, futile, or in some translations, meaningless or vanity. And it's this Hebrew word, hebel. And Hebel literally means vapor or smoke. Vapor or smoke. Hebel means vapor. So, wait a minute. Everything is vapor. Absolutely vapor. What does he mean by that? Well, see, the, this is where the translators have to go, okay, we can't use the literal word. They, he must mean something else. And from what we understand back then, this idea, this, this word, would have meant, um, would have been a metaphor to describe something that is temporary and uncontrollable. See, what, what, the reason that Hebel is used is because it's reminding us um, that we can't control and manipulate it for our own purposes. In other words, I can't grab this and throw it at you, it's gone. I can't grab it and put it in my pocket. It's just gone. It's temporary. It's elusive. It's, It's uncontrollable, unmanipulative. And that is the point, that you can't control it. I can't make it do what I want it to do. And he's going to go on, the teacher, and he's going to go on and he's going to talk about how life, how these different experiences in life are like vapor that when I try to make it do what I want it to do, I'll come to this point where I go, ah, what's the, I, it's vaporous. It's, it's meaningless, it's futile. And so he says this about several things. And so here's the list of things, you ready? Pleasure. Here's what he says about pleasure in chapter two, verse one. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good but it turned out to be futile. Listen to what he says about possessions in chapter two, verse 11. And right before then, he goes on and on and on about all his possessions and all the things he bought and owned. And Verse 11, he says, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuing of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Think about Solomon what you know about Solomon, nothing to be gained. He owned, he could own anything he wanted, and that was his conclusion. Then he moved to work. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great working or a great wrong. In other words, what he's saying is, go ahead, Work really hard with wisdom and knowledge and skill. But guess what? When you die, it's going to be passed on to a son or to a relative or to someone else and they're not going to work as hard as you. And it's probably not going to be as good as you had it. But go ahead, work hard you want, you know. Then he says this about wealth. This isn't a surprise to us. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. And then he said, and then he comes to wisdom. In verse in chapter 2 verse 15 he says, "So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why have I been overly wise?" And I said to myself that this also is futile. So he's after all these things, work and pleasure and and wealth and possessions, he says even wisdom. If if I think, "Oh no, no, it's not those things, it's wisdom. It's about being wise." If I'm just really really wise then i can then i can manipulate and control life to make it do what i want and, he, and he, what he says there is the wise person dies too just like the fool sometimes the wise person dies before the fool and the fool lives longer than the wise person so in other words yeah just being wise doesn't make you live longer it's not a formula to follow so i imagine with each of these i imagine the teacher sitting in the back going, nobody cares. <laughs> and, it's, and I think he does it with a smile because he knows. He knows that we need to bump up against this thing. We need to bump up against futility to be reminded of some things. But it's not just these things he talks about. He talks about some bigger, deeper, harder things. Like he talks about injustice being pervasive, and uncontrollable. He talks about death being unpredictable, evil people living longer than than righteous people, and, and all of this, he concludes, futility, that life under the sun is absolutely futile. Now, why would this be in the Bible? Think about that. Like, why would this kind of a message, it seems depressing, and it seems like Ugh, heavy. Why would this be in the Bible? I think it's fascinating that this is Memorial Day weekend because some of you have experienced the loss of a loved one way too soon. You know it exactly what this is like. Others of you have experienced injustice. I was just talking to a friend um, of mine. She was a former student in our ministry. She's an African-American woman, and she was a leader for us, and she's moved off, and she's now an engineer, and I called her last week because of all that's going on, and asked her how she was doing, and she just said she's constantly frustrated, constantly angry about the injustice and the racism, not just that's in our country, but that she feels and experiences, and I could not help but think, wow, Ecclesiastes, like, gives you a voice, Those of you who've lost someone sooner than you hoped and wished, this book gives you a voice, not to fix it, but just to come alongside of you and say, yeah, life, right? And so it's not just the silly things that are frustrating. It can be the bigger, deeper things too that are hard. But the reason I chose Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20 to be read is because it's a helpful reminder that we're not in control of these things that happen in life and, and that we shouldn't take ourselves so serious. Let me read it again, verses 19 and 20. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed, them to, allowed him to enjoy them, to take his reward and to rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. For he does not consider the days of his life because God keeps, him preoccup- God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. In other words, if you just spend your whole time considering the days of your life, what's the point? Why do I waste my time? Why do I work so hard? Why do I do these things when someone could just come in and take it all and there's nothing I could do about it? Or, or I could just die all of a sudden and what would it be for? What this Kohelet is is describing is just be consumed with what you get to do. Enjoy doing what you get to do. It reminds us to keep the experiences of life in its proper place in relation to God who is above the sun and enjoy it for what it is. Not for more than, than you can make it, you know, and not for less than God intended it but enjoy it for what it is. Do you, do you need that reminder today that you can't stop futility from happening in your life or experiencing it, that you can't control to life, life today? Did you need that reminder? Do you need to be reminded that God is in heaven, that he is sovereign, that he's, he's over all, and his ways are not our ways? Um, I need to be reminded of that. I hope you do too. So what are you gonna do? The next time life whispers in your ear, or maybe shouts from the back seat, nobody cares. What are you gonna do? Here's what I hope. I hope you turn to Ecclesiastes. But ultimately, I hope that by experiencing futility, that you see it as a gift. That you see it as a gift, a gift that reminds you of a couple things. First of all, a gift that reminds us to be humble. This phrase, fear the Lord or fear of the Lord is mentioned in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes and in Job, that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You ever thought about why fear? I think sometimes we're afraid of that word fear, but it is a good word. It is an appropriate word. When you come face to face with your creator who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving and holy and just, fear or humility is the natural and normal posture in which we can have. And so when we experience futility, it's a reminder to be humble, that that ultimately God's ways are above our ways, and we aren't in control of this thing we call life anyway. The ultimate message, like I said earlier, is found at the end of Ecclesiastes, held by the narrator, a father to his son, in chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Let me read it. But beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. You know what I think he's saying there? I think he's saying, hey, listen to Kohelet, listen to the teacher, but don't spend too much time with him. Don't hang out with him. You can get lost just by spending your time thinking about the futility of life. He's saying, hear the warning and move on. And here's the move on. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments because, for, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. He says, fear God, humble yourself before him. It is the, it is the entry point into a relationship with God. Wisdom is staying on the path that God has, has called you to. And in, or, in order to do that, you've got to stay humble. And he says, stay humble, fear God, obey his commands, and remember, God's going to make all things new. He's going to right all wrongs. It's not our job to judge, he's got it. So it means hold on to your your work and your pleasure and your relationships and your wealth And the wisdom that you have, hold on to it with an open hand. Looking to God for the meaning, for their meaning, and trusting God with their outcome. It means you want to save all your money and pass it on to your relatives, great, enjoy doing that. But if you think that that's somehow going to protect them or prevent them from having hardships, it's not up to you. Hold it with an open hand. The second thing I think it reminds us of is where our hope comes from and who to put our hope in. C.S. Lewis says that all of us, if we live long enough, we'll realize that the things that we hoped would satisfy us don't. That's a, that's a fascinating idea. He says, you know, you got the degree and you got the job and you show up and you're excited and guess what? nobody cares. I've had students tell me that. You got married to the man of your dreams or to the woman of your dreams, and you had some kids, and you find out several years into your marriage that you're still not happy. You got the promotion or the raise, and and you've got more money in your bank account, and guess what? It's not enough. He says, we live long enough. We're going to reach the end of these things, and they're not going to really satisfy. Lewis says, when this happens, there's two bad ways to respond and two and one good way to respond. He says the first bad way is the way of the fool, and that's to blame. He says, you know, it's, it's saying it's the people's or the job's fault, or I picked the wrong man or the, the wrong woman, and my kids are the problem. It's I need more money, and then I'll be happy. It's the way of the fool. It's to blame. The second way is the way that I contend tend to fall into it's the way of delusion, disillusion, and that's resignation. It's, ah, who cares? It doesn't matter anyway. There's no point. It's, it's being tempted to give up and to lose hope. Um, Jay Springer in his book called Unwanted describes this as hijacked futility, and I kind of like that. Hijacked futility is, is, is resignation and a loss of purpose and passion, and when this happens, He describes how it leads to very destructive behaviors in people's lives. The the third way, which is the one good way, he says, is the way of the Christian. And I want to read you his quote. If you know C.S. Lewis, he's very philosophical. He says this, Creatures are are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was, not, that I was made for another world. The Bible gives a voice to the frustration of futility, and its answer is, to hope in Jesus, to hope in Him. And speaking of Romans 8, I want to end with my favorite verse, currently my favorite verse from this chapter. It's Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 34. Listen to what he says. This is the gospel summed up in a verse. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. In other words, what he's saying is he died for your sins and my sins so that we don't have to. He was raised to life and conquered death so that someday we will too. And he's at the right hand of God reigning over everything so that, in other words, you can trust him with anything. And that he is also interceding on our behalf because he cares deeply for us. That is hope, my friends. And I hope that you can look to Jesus when you experience futility. I hope that you can not take yourself so serious. Enjoy life for what it is. Enjoy the things that you get to do for what they are in their proper order, in their proper place under God who lives above the sun. I hope that you've been blessed by this. Please continue to look to Jesus as we offer our hope in him.